St. Bartholomew's Eve by G. A. Henty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Read by Anna Christensen. Chapter 14 The Assault on the Chateau. The night passed quietly. Just as the sun rose, a trumpet sounded, calling for a truce, and two knights in armor rode forward followed by an esquire carrying a white flag. They halted thirty or forty yards from the gate, and the countess herself came up onto the wall when the knight raised his visor. Countess Amelia de Laville, I summon you in the name of his majesty the king to surrender. I have with me an ample force to overcome all resistance, but his gracious majesty in his clemency has empowered me to offer to all within the walls their lives, save only that you and your son shall accompany to Paris, there to be dealt with according to the law, under the accusation of having taken up arms against his most sacred majesty. Methinks, sir, the countess said in a loud, clear voice, that it would have been better had you delayed until this morning instead of attempting like a band of midnight thieves to break into my chateau. I fancy we should have heard but little of his majesty's clemency had you succeeded in your attempt. I am in arms, not against the king, but against his evil counsellors, the men who persuade him to break his pledged word, and to treat his unoffending subjects as if they were the worst of malefactors. Assuredly their royal highnesses, the princes of Condé and Navarre, have no thought of opposing his majesty, but desire above all things that he should be able to act without pressure from Lorraine or Guise, from Pope or King of Spain, and when they lay down their arms I shall be glad to do so. Did I know that the king himself of his own mind had sent you here to summon me, I would willingly accompany you to Paris to clear myself of any charges brought against me. But as your base attempt without summons or demand to break into my chateau last night shows that you can have no authority from his majesty to enter here, I refuse to open my gates, and shall defend this place until the last against all who may attack it. The knights rode away. They had, they had, after the rough reception on their arrival, perceived that the countess was determined to defend the chateau, and had only summoned her to surrender as a matter of form. Ah, oh, I wish we had never entered upon this expedition, de Brissac. They told us that the house was but poorly fortified, and we thought we should assuredly carry it by surprise last night, and that by taking this obstinate dame prisoner, burning her chateau, and sweeping all the country round, we should give a much-needed lesson to the Huguenots of the district. One could not have expected to find the place crowded with men, and everyone ready with lighted matches and drawn crossbows to receive us. I believe now that fire we saw two or three miles in our rear as we came along then was a signal. But even if it were one, one would not have given them credit for gathering so promptly to withstand us. As for the place itself, it is, as we heard, of no great strength. Tis but a modern house, enclosed on three sides of the wall, some twenty feet high, and surrounded by a moat of the same width. With our force we should carry it in half an hour. We know that the garrison consists of only fifty men, besides a score or so of grooms and servants. So we heard, but I am mistaken if there are not more than double that number engaged on the wall. Still, as you say, there will be no great difficulty in carrying the place. The ladders will be ready in a couple of hours, and de Bouvier will bring in from the farmhouses plenty of planks and beams for throwing bridges across the moat. It is two hours since he set out with the horsemen, so as to catch the Huguenot farmers asleep. As they returned to the spot where the men were engaged in cooking their breakfast, while some were occupied in constructing ladders from young trees that had been felled for the purpose, a gentleman rode in. What is your news, de Villet? The news is bad. De Beauvert asked me to ride in to tell you that we find the farmhouses completely deserted, 
and the whole of the cattle and horses have disappeared, as well as the inhabitants. Save for some pigs and poultry, we have not seen a living thing. Suppressed! The Huguenot dogs must have slept with one eye open. Either they heard the firing last night and at once made off, or they must have learned we were coming and must have gathered in the chateau. Their measures must have been indeed well planned and carried out, for them all to have got the alarm in time to gather here before our arrival. I hope that is what they have done, for we reckoned upon carrying off at least a thousand head of cattle for the use of the army. It was for that as much as to capture the countess and strike a blow at this hive of Huguenots that the expedition was arranged in the first place. However, if they are all in there, it will save us the trouble of driving them in. In that case, de Brissac, the fifty men will have been reinforced by as many more at least. I maybe by a hundred and fifty with the farmers in all their hands. But what are a mere hundred and fifty rustics and fifty men-at-arms against our force? De Brissac had guessed pretty accurately the number of fighting men that could be mustered among the tenants of the countess. The training that they had undergone had, however, made them more formidable opponents than he supposed, and each man was animated by hatred of their persecutors, and a stern determination to fight until the last in defense of their lives and freedom of worship. They had been mustered at the first dawn of day in the courtyard, their arms inspected, and all deficiency made up from the armory. Fifty men were placed under Philip's orders for the defense of that portion of the house that directly rose from the edge of the moat. The lower windows were small and strongly barred, and there was little fear of an entrance being forced. The postern gate here had during the night been strengthened with stone, and articles of heavy furniture piled against it. A few men were placed at the lower windows, the main body on the first floor, where the casements were large and the rest distributed at the upper windows to vex the enemy by their fire as they approached. Philip appointed Eustace to take command of the men at the lower windows, and Roger on those on the upper floor, he with Jacques posting himself on the first floor, against which the enemy would attempt to fix their ladders. Great fires were lighted in all the rooms, and cauldrons of water placed over them, and boys with pails stood by these in readiness to bring boiling water to the windows when required. The walls round the courtyard and garden were not of sufficient thickness for fires to be lighted along the narrow path on which the defenders were posted. But fires were lighted in the courtyard, and boiling water prepared there in readiness to carry up when the assault began. The Huguenot gentlemen were placed in command at the various points along the wall most likely to be assailed. Had the besiegers been provided with cannon, the defense could not have lasted long, for the walls would not have resisted battering by shot. But cannon in those times were rare and were too clumsy and heavy to accompany an expedition requiring to move with speed. For a time the men-at-arms alone garrisoned the wall, the farmers and their men being occupied in pumping water from the wells and carrying it in to the cattle, of which some eight hundred had been driven in. The granaries were open, and a plentiful supply of food placed in large troughs. At ten o'clock a trumpet called all the defenders to their posts. The enemy were drawn up in order and moved toward the house in six columns, two taking their way towards the rear to attack the house on that side, while the others advanced toward different points on the wall. Ladders and long planks were carried at the head of each column. As they approached, the assailants halted, and the arquebusers came forward and took their posts in line to cover by their fire the advance of the storming parties. As soon as these advanced, a heavy fire was opened by the besieged with crossbow and arquebus. The parapet was high, and while they exposed only their heads to fire, and were altogether sheltered while loading, the assailants were completely exposed. Orders were given that the defenders should entirely disregard the fire of the matchlock men, and to direct their aim upon the storming parties. These suffered heavily at first, but, urged forward by their officers, they gained the edge of the moat, pushed the planks across, and placed the ladders. But as fast as these were put into position, they were hurled down by the defenders, who, with long forked sticks, 
thrust them out from the wall and hurled them backwards sometimes allowing them to remain until a line of men had climbed up and then pouring a pail of boiling water over the wall upon them the farmers vied with the men-at-arms in the steadiness of their defence being furious at the sight of columns of smoke which rose in many directions showing that the cavalry of the besiegers were occupied in destroying their homesteads sometimes when four or five ladders were planted together the assailants managed to climb up to the level of the parapet but only to be thrust backward with pikes and cut down with swords and axes for two hours the assault continued and then Dieperzoc, seeing how heavy was the loss and how vain the efforts to scale the wall at any point ordered the trumpeters to sound the retreat and the besiegers drew off galled by the fire of the defenders until they were out of range the attempt of the two columns which had attacked the house itself were attended with no greater success than those of their followers their efforts to gain a footing in any of the rooms on the first floor having been defeated with heavy loss the leaders of the assailants held a consultation after their troops had drawn off it is of no use de Brizac said to repeat the attack on the walls they are too stoutly defended it is out of the question for us to think of returning to portieres we undertook to capture the place to harry the farms to destroy all the huguenots and to return driving in all the cattle for the use of the army of all this we have only so far burned the farmhouses and we have lost something like a couple hundred of men this time we must try by fire the men must gather bundles of firewood and must attack in three columns the principal against the great gate the others against the two posterns the one at the back of the house itself the other nearest the angle where the walls join it if we had time to construct machines for battering the walls it would be an easy business but that is out of the question in a couple of days at the latest we shall have them coming out like a swarm of hornets from la rochelle it is not likely when they had all their measures so well prepared that they omitted to send off word at once to coligny and by tomorrow at noon we may have conde and the admiral upon us therefore we must make an end of this by nightfall have you any better plans to suggest gentlemen there was no reply several of those present had been wounded more or less severely and some terribly bruised by being hurled back from the ladders as they led the troops to the assault five or six of the young nobles who had joined what they regarded as an expedition likely to meet with but slight resistance had been killed and all regretted that they had embarked upon an affair that could bring them but small credit while they were unprovided with the necessary means for attacking a place so stoutly defended de Brizoc at once issued orders and strong parties of soldiers scattered and proceeded to cut down fences and bushes and to form large faggots their movements were observed by the men placed in the summit of the tower and no doubt was entertained of the intention of the enemy what do you think we had better do philip francois asked as they stood together at the top of the tower watching the catholics at work we may shoot a number of them but if they are determined they will certainly be able to lay their faggots and in that case we shall be open to attack at three points and likely enough they will at the same time renew their attacks on the walls that is the most dangerous part of it philip said we ought to have no difficulty in holding the three entrances the posterns are narrow and forty men at each should be able to keep back a host and this would leave you a hundred and twenty to hold the main gates but if we have to man the walls too the matter would be serious if we had time we might be able to pull down one of the outbuildings and build a thick wall behind the gates but in an hour they will be attacking us again he stood thinking for a minute or two and then exclaimed i have it francois let us at once kill a number of the cattle and pile their carcasses up too deep against the gates they may burn them down if they like then but they can do nothing against that pile of flesh the weight of the carcasses will keep them in a solid mass at any rate we might do that at the two posterns the great gates are perhaps too wide and lofty but if we formed a barricade inside of them say three bodies high a hundred men ought to be able to defend it 
and that will leave a hundred for the walls and house. That is a capital idea, Philip. We must not lose a moment in carrying it out. Two of the principal tenants were called up, and told to see to the slaughtering instantly a sufficient cattle to pile too deep against the posterns. Calling a number of men together, these at once set about the business. We will see to the other barricade ourselves, Philip. That is where the fighting will be. The entrance behind the gateway was some twenty-five feet in width, and as much in depth before it entered the courtyard. The bullocks were brought up to the spot and slaughtered there. The first line were about to be dragged into the place, when Philip suggested that they should be skinned. "'What on earth do you want to skin them for, Philip?' Francois asked. "'When they are arranged in a row, I would throw the skins over them, inside out. The weight of the next row will keep the skins in their place, and it will be impossible for anyone to obtain a footing on that slippery surface, especially if we pour the blood over it.' Francois at once saw the point of the suggestion. "'Excellent, Philip. I wish my brain were as full of ideas as yours is.' The same course was pursued with the other two tiers of carcasses, the hides of the upper row being firmly pegged into the flesh to prevent their being pulled off. The breastwork was about five feet high, and was absolutely unclimbable. It could not be better, Francois said. A solid work would not be half so difficult to get over. Twenty men here could keep a host at bay. Another tier of unskinned carcasses was laid down behind the breastwork for the defenders to stand on, and the earth was piled over it to afford a footing. They had but just completed their preparations when the trumpet from above sounded the signal that the enemy was approaching. All took the posts that they had before occupied. The enemy approached as they had expected in three bodies, each preceded by a detachment that carried in front of them great faggots which served as a protection against the missiles of the besieged. Among them were men carrying sacks. "'What can they have there?' Philip asked one of the Huguenot gentlemen. "'I should say it was earth,' he replied. "'Earth?' Philip repeated, puzzled. "'What can they want that for?' "'I should think it is to cover the planks thickly before they lay down the faggots. "'Otherwise the planks would burn and perhaps fall bodily into the water "'before the fire had done its work on the doors.' "'No doubt that is it,' Philip agreed. "'As soon as the heads of the columns approached within a hundred yards, "'the men with arquebuses opened fire, "'and those with crossbows speedily followed suit. Four hundred men with arquebuses at once ran forward "'until within a short distance of the moat.' and opened so heavy a fire against the defenders of the wall and house that these were compelled to stoop down under the shelter. Some of them would have still gone on firing from the windows, but Philip ordered them to draw back. "'It is of no use throwing away life,' he said. "'We cannot hope to prevent them planting their faggots and firing them.' He himself went up to a small turret, partly overhanging the wall, and through a loophole watched the men at work. The contents of the sack were emptied out upon the planks the latter having been first soaked with water drawn from the moat by a pail one of the men carried. The earth was leveled a foot deep, then a score of buckets of water emptied over it. Then the faggots were piled against the door. A torch was applied to them, and as soon as this was done the assailants fell back, the defenders plying them with shot and crossbolt as they did so. Philip now paid a hasty visit to the walls. Here the assailants had suffered heavily before they had planted their faggots, the defenders being better able to return their fire than were those at the windows. In both cases, however, they had succeeded in laying and firing the faggots, although much hindered at the work by pails of boiling water emptied upon them. Some ten of the defenders had been shot through the head as they stood up to fire. Attempts were made, by pouring water down upon the faggots, to extinguish the fire, but the time taken in conveying the water up from the courtyard enabled the fire to get such hold that the attempt was abandoned. It is just as well, Francois said. If we could extinguish the fire, we should lose the benefit of the surprise we have prepared for them. 
In a quarter of an hour, light flames began to flicker at the edges of the great gates. "'Do you stay here with me, Philip?' Francois said. "'Our own band will take the post here. They are more accustomed to hand-to-hand -hand fighting. The tenants will guard the wall. Montpace will be in command there. Beg de Ribeaumont to take command at the back of the house. Tell him to send for aid to us if he is pressed. I would put your own three men down at the postern there. I feel sure they can never move that double row of bullocks. But it is as well to make certain, and those three could hold the narrow postern till help reaches them. Place a boy with them to send off for aid if necessary. Bordeaux is stationed behind the other postern with three men. It will be half an hour before the gates are down yet. The two together made a tour of the defences. All was in readiness. The men, after their first success, felt confident that they should beat off their assailants, and even the women, gathered round the great fires in the houses and courtyard, with pails in readiness to carry boiling water to the threatened points, showed no signs of anxiety, the younger ones laughing and chatting together as if engaged in ordinary work. The countess went round with her maids carrying flagons and cups, and gave a draught of wine to each of the defenders. The minister accompanied her, as there was yet no wounded needing their care, for all who had been hit had been struck in the head, and death had in each case been instantaneous. At last the great gates fell with a crash, and a shout of exultation arose from the Catholics, answered by the Huguenots on the wall by one of defiance. In half an hour the assailants again formed up. The strongest column advanced toward the great gate, the others against the posterns, and four separate bodies, with planks and ladders, moved forward to bridge the moat and to attack at other points. The defenders on the walls and at the windows were soon at work, and the assailants suffered heavily from the fire as they advanced. The fifty men-at-arms behind the barricade remained quiet and silent, a dozen of them with arquebuses lining the barricade. With loud shouts the Catholics came on, deeming the chateau as good as one. The arquebusers poured their fire into them as they crossed the moat, and then fell back behind their comrades, who were armed with pike and sword. As they passed through the still-smoking gateway, the assailants saw the barricade in front of them, but this did not appear formidable, and, led by a number of gentlemen in complete armor, they rushed forward. For a moment those in front recoiled as they reached the wall of slippery hides. Then, pressed forward from behind, they made desperate attempts to climb it. It would have been as easy to try to mount a wall of ice. Their hands and feet alike failed to obtain a hold, and from above the defenders with pike and sword thrust and cut at them while the arquebusers, as fast as possible, discharged their pieces into the crowd, loaded each time with three or four balls. For half an hour the efforts to force the barricade continued. So many had fallen that the wall was now no higher than their waist, but even this could not be surmounted in face of the double line of pikemen, and at last the assailants fell back, baffled. At the two posterns they had failed to make any impression upon the carcasses that blocked their way. In vain they strove, by striking the curved points of their halberts into the carcasses, to drag them from their place. But the pressure of the weight above, and the interior line of carcasses that were piled on the legs of the outside tiers, prevented the enemy from moving them in the slightest degree. While so engaged, those at work were exposed to the boiling water poured from above, and the soldiers standing behind in readiness to advance when the entrance was won were also exposed to the fire of the defenders. The assaults on the wall and at the windows were far less obstinate than those in the previous attack as they were intended only as diversions to the main assaults on the postern and gate. And when the assailants at these points fell back, the storming parties also retreated. They had lost in all nearly four hundred men in the second attack, of whom more than a hundred and fifty had fallen in the assault upon the barricade. The instant they retreated, Francois and Philip let out their men, cleared the earth from the planks, and threw these into the water. They were not a moment too soon, 
for just as they completed their task, the Catholic cavalry thundered down to the edge of the moat, regardless of the fire from the walls, which emptied many saddles. Finding themselves unable to cross, they turned and galloped off after the infantry. We were just in time, Philip, Francois said. If they had crossed the moat, it would have gone hard with us. For, with that bank of bodies lying against the breastwork, they might have been able to leap it. At any rate, their long lances would have driven us back, and some would have dismounted and climbed over. As it is, I think we have done with them. After two such repulses as they have had, and losing pretty nearly half their infantry, they will never get the men to try another attack. An hour later, indeed, the whole Catholic force, horse and foot, were seen to march off by the road along which they had come. As soon as they did so, a trumpet summoned the defenders from the walls and house. The women and children also poured out into the courtyard, and the minister, taking his place by the side of the countess on the steps of the chateau, offered a solemn service of thanksgiving to God for their preservation from the dangers that had threatened them. It was now five o'clock, and the short winter day was nearly over. Many of the tenants would have started off to their farms, but Francois begged them to remain until next morning. The smoke told you what to expect, he said. You will find nothing but the ruins of your houses, and in this weather it would be madness to take your wives and families out. In the morning you can go and view your homes. If there are still any sheds standing that you can turn into homes for the time, you can come back for your wives and families. If not, then they must remain here until you can get up shelter for them. In this bitter cold weather, you could not think of rebuilding your houses regularly, nor would it be of any use to do so until we get to the end of these troubles. But you can fell and saw wood, and erect cottages that will suffice for present use, and serve as sheds when better times return. The first thing to do is to attend to those who have fallen. The dead must be removed and buried, but there must be many wounded, and these must be brought in and attended to. There is an empty granary that we can convert into a hospital. Before we do anything else, Francois, we must fish the planks from the moat, to serve until a fresh drawbridge is constructed. Eustace, do you get two heavy beams thrust over and lay the planks across them? Then with Roger, mount, cross the moat as soon as it is bridged, and follow the road after the Catholics. They may not have gone far, and might halt and return to attack us when we shall be off our guard. Follow them about five miles. Then, if they are still marching, you had both better come back to us. If they halt before that, do you remain and watch them, and send Roger back with the news? A hundred and thirty wounded men were brought in, some wounded by shot or crossbow bolt, some terribly scalded, others with broken limbs from being hurled backwards with their ladders. The countess with her maids and many of the women attended to them as they were brought in, and applied selves and bandages to the wounds. Among the mass that had fallen inside the gate, seven gentlemen, who still lived, were discovered. These were brought into the chateau and placed in a room together. The task was carried on by torchlight and occupied some hours. Towards midnight, the trampling of a large body of horse was heard. Arms were hastily snatched up and steel caps thrust on, and pike in hand they thronged to defend the entrance. Francois ran to the battlements. Who comes there? he shouted. Halt and declare yourselves or we shall fire. The horsemen halted and a voice cried, Is that you, Francois? Yes, it is I, de la Nui, Francois shouted back joyously. Is all well? Where are the enemy? was asked in the admiral's well-known voice. All is well, sir. They retreated just before nightfall, leaving seven hundred of their infantry wounded or dead behind them. A shout of satisfaction arose from the horsemen. Take torches across the bridge, Francois ordered. It is the admiral come to our rescue. A minute later, the head of the column crossed the temporary bridge. Francois had run down and received them in the gateway. "'What is this?' the admiral asked. 
Have they burnt your drawbridge and gate? Yes, sir. How was it, then, that they did not succeed in capturing the place? Ah, I see. You formed a barricade here. Two or three carcasses had been dragged aside to permit the men carrying the wounded to enter. Why, what is it, Francois? Skins of freshly slain oxen? Yes, sir, and the barricade is formed of their bodies. We had neither time nor materials at hand, and my cousin suggested bringing the oxen up and slaughtering them here. In that way we soon made a barricade, but we should have had hard work in holding it against such numbers, had not he also suggested our skinning them and letting the hides hang as you see with the raw sides outward. Then we smeared them thickly with blood, and though the Catholics strove their hardest, not one of them managed to get a footing on the top. A rare thought indeed, the admiral said warmly. De la Nuit, these cousins of yours are truly apt scholars in war. The oldest soldier could not have thought of a better device. And you say you killed seven hundred of them, Laville? That is the number, sir, counting in a hundred and thirty wounded who are now lying in a granary here. They must have fought stoutly. But what was your strength? We had fifty men-at-arms, sir, five or six Huguenot gentlemen with their retainers, and a hundred and fifty men from our own estate, all of whom fought as doughtily as old soldiers could have done. The enemy thought to take us by surprise yesterday evening, but we were ready for them, and our discharge killed over fifty. Then they drew off and left us until this morning. They made two great attacks, the first by throwing planks across the moat and placing rivers at three places. The second by trying again to storm with ladders, while other bands tried to force their way in at this gate and at the two posterns. Of course, they had burned all the farms to the ground, but the cattle were all safely driven in. Now, if you will enter, sir, we will endeavor to provide for your wants. No one is in bed yet. We have been too busy carrying out the dead and collecting the wounded to think of sleep. The countess was at the steps of the chateau to receive the admiral as he dismounted. Accept my heartiest thanks for the speed with which you have come to our aid, admiral. We did not expect you before tomorrow morning at the earliest. It has been a long ride, truly, the admiral said. Your messenger arrived at daybreak, having walked the last five miles, for his horse had foundered. I flew to horse the moment I received the news, and with four hundred horsemen, for the most part Huguenot gentlemen, we started at once. We halted for three hours in the middle of the day to rest our horses, and again for an hour just after nightfall. We feared that we should find your chateau in flames, for although your messenger said that your son thought you could hold out against all attacks for two days, it seemed to us that so strong a force as was beleaguering you would carry the place by storm in a few hours. I have to congratulate you on the gallant defense that you have made. I have had nothing to do with it, the countess replied. But indeed, all have fought well. Now, if you will follow me in, I will do my best to entertain you and the brave gentlemen who have ridden so far to my rescue. But I fear the accommodation will be of the roughest. The horses were ranged in rows in the courtyard, halted to ropes stretched out across it, and an ample supply of food was given to each. Some of the oxen that had done such good service were cut up and were soon roasting over great fires, while the women spread straw thickly in the apartments for the newcomers to sleep on. "'Where are the Catholics?' the admiral asked. "'They have halted at a village some seven miles away,' Francois said. "'We sent two mounted men after them to make sure that they had gone well away and did not intend to try to take us by surprise in the night. They returned some hours since with the news.' "'What do you say, de la Nuit?' the admiral exclaimed. "'Shall we beat them up tonight?' They will not be expecting us, and after their march here and their day's fighting, they will sleep soundly. I should like nothing better, Admiral, but in truth I doubt whether our horses could carry us. They have already made a twenty-league journey. We have at least two hundred horses here, Admiral, Francois said. 
We have those in my own troop, and fully a hundred and fifty that were driven in by the tenants. My own troop will, of course, be ready to go, and you could shift your saddles on to the other horses. There is not one of our men who would not gladly march with you, for although we have beaten the Catholics well, the tenants do not forget that they are homeless, and will, I am sure, gladly follow up the blow. Then so it shall be, the admiral said. A hundred and fifty of the gentlemen who came with me shall ride with your troops. The rest of us will march with your tenants. I think we are capable of doing that, even after our ride, gentlemen. There was a chorus of assent from those standing round, and De La Nui added, After supper, Admiral? Certainly after supper, Coligny assented with a smile. Another hour will make no difference. You may be sure they will not be moving before daylight. If we start from here at three, we shall be in ample time. Philip at once went out and ordered the attendants and men-at-arms to lie down for two hours as the admiral was going to lead them to attack the Catholics at their halting place, news which they received with grim satisfaction. In the meantime, Francois gave a detailed account of the events of the siege, and the admiral insisted upon going at once to inspect by torchlight the novel manner in which the two posterns had been blocked up. Nothing could have been better, de la Ville, he said. Your English cousin is indeed full of resources. Better material than this for blocking up a narrow gateway could hardly be contrived. Fire, as it proved, was of no avail against it, for it would be impossible to dislodge the carcasses by main force. And even if they had cannon, the balls would not have penetrated this thickness of flesh, which must have been torn to pieces before it yielded. The idea of covering the carcasses at the gate with their own raw hides was an equally happy one. Upon my word, de la Nui, I do not think that if you or I had been in command here, we could have done better than these two young fellows. At three o'clock all was ready for a start. De la Nui took the command of the two hundred horsemen. The admiral declined to ride, and placed himself at the head of the column of infantry, which was three hundred strong, thirty of the original defenders having been either killed or disabled, and twenty being left as a guard at the chateau. The surprise of the Catholics was complete. Three hundred were killed, two hundred, including their commander, de Brizoc, and thirty other gentlemen, were made prisoners. The remaining six hundred escaped into the darkness, their arms, armor, and the whole of the horses falling into the hands of the victors, who halted at the village until morning. Well, de Brizoc, the Count de la Nui said as they started on their return, the times have changed since you and I fought under your father in Italy, and we little thought that then some day we should be fighting in opposite sides. Still less that I should be made your prisoner, de la Nui, the other laughed. Well, we have made a nice business of this. We thought to surprise de la Ville Chateau without having to strike a blow, and that we were going to return to Portier with at least a thousand head of cattle. We were horribly beaten at the Chateau, have now been surprised ourselves and you are carrying off our horses, to say nothing of ourselves. We marched out with eighteen hundred horse and foot, and I don't think more than five or six hundred at the outside have got away, and that in the scantiest apparel. And Jew will be furious when he hears the news. When I am exchanged, I expect I shall be ordered to my estates. Had de la Ville some older heads to assist him? No, he and the young cousin of his riding next to him acted entirely by themselves. And the cousin, who was an English lad, is the one who invented that barricaded bullocks that stopped you. That was a rare device, de Brizoc said. I fought my way to it once, but there was no possibility of climbing it. It is rather mortifying to my pride to have been so completely beaten by the device of a lad like that. He ought to make a great soldier some day, de la Nui. End of chapter 14. Recorded October 2008.